0: I mean, forget whether or not you thought that this was a great idea, a good idea, or a bad idea. Forget all of those things just for a second. They were willing to throw over $43 million of guaranteed money at Sammy Watkins. Over $43 million! Did you think that they were going to throw that kind of money at Sammy Watkins and keep Des Bryant on the team with a six, uh, $6.5 million uh, cap hold? Did you think that they were going to carry both of those salaries with a uh, notoriously injured wide receiver in Sammy Watkins and the declining skill set of Des Bryant? You really thought that was going to happen? No. 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 Anybody who just had an inkling, anybody who had just a tiny shred of common sense understood that there was no way that the Dallas Cowboys were going to bring Dez back. The only reason why they kept them as long as they did was because they needed some kind of insurance just in case they couldn't find any wide receivers other than of uh, Sammy Watkins on the open market, but they were able to find some Alan Hearns, very productive player when he has a quality quarterback throwing him the ball, Deontay Thompson. You think that that, and, and they drafted uh, Switzer from last year, Ryan Switzer from the university of North Carolina. Did you really think that Dez Bryant was fitting into the team's plans or was a major part of their plans moving forward? If you did, you need to wake up. And for whatever reason, Dez thought that he was fine going forward. I don't understand. You know what Dez really needs to blame in this whole entire situation? He needs to blame his agent. He needs to blame his agent. Because I'm looking at the way the Dallas Cowboys worked this whole entire situation and they basically held on to him for their own purposes of the insurance and also to make sure that there was not a lot of teams who would be able to, um, garner his services this late in the free agency, uh, period. Yeah, I know it's gangster. Yeah, I know it's underhanded. Yeah, it is definitely shady, but that is the price of doing business. That's the price of doing business. And I'm sorry. I am not a fanboy. I will root for my team until the day that I die. But I don't root for players. I never have and I never will root for players. I root for my team. My team is why I tune in. T- players are interchangeable. Players are going to go if there's more money in a different place and there's... Um, a better market for their services. See ya. They'll be out of there. They'll be waving their hands. And yeah, I know that people are going to say, oh, you can't do this. Where's the loyalty? Where, where's the, look. They paid for Bryant. They paid for his declining skill set. And they decided they wanted to move in another direction. I really can't blame them for what they've done. And it really was quite genius on their part. Well, particularly Jerry Jones' part. Because he has Des Bryant thinking that it wasn't me. It was those other guys over there in the corner. I wanted to bring you back, baby. I wanted to bring you back. Let me ask you something. If you have a major blow-up with your significant other, and you catch them scrolling through a list, of, um, former girlfriends or former boyfriends, wouldn't that give you an inkling as to how they're thinking about your relationship at that particular moment? Wouldn't that give you a clue? Wouldn't that allow you to just wake up just maybe a little bit from your slumber? I mean, have some self-awareness. I used to work with a guy who was always late, you know, he didn't really offer a whole lot in meetings. Sales numbers weren't that great. Wasn't the life of the party, didn't have an, an overly, uh, gregarious personality. And he was surprised one day when the company was like, you know what? Um, we're going to move in another direction. We don't no longer need your services he was surprised that he was let go and I' was just sitting there thinking to myself are you kidding me you didn't see them interviewing for other people for your same position while you were here you didn't get those notices of them saying hey you might want to start showing up on time tone deaf just completely tone-deaf kind of reminds me of my mother-in-law she means well lovely woman but good God she can't hold a tune no one's told her that and she's never going to understand that that's what she is and that's what people are thinking but I do expect that um, with Des being in the league as long as he's been with him seeing what's going ar- around the league I would think that he would just be a little bit more in tune with the market in tune with what's going on in the NFL in tune with the fact that this is a business. And I'm sorry when he came out last year and said, would you be willing to take a pay cut to help the Cowboys out? And he said, there's no possible way that I'm giving back this money. And I'm I'm saying it in a nice way. I'm saying it in a polite way. Des had absolutely no indicate gave no indication that he would take a pay cut, that he would play nice, that he would restructure his contract so that the Cowboys could have some some uh, money left over to pay at some other significant positions, particularly along the offensive line. So there you have it. Shouldn't have been a uh, news to him. It was news to a lot of people because they just weren't reading the tea leaves. But, I mean, good grief. If they're willing to shell out that much money to Sammy Watkins, that should have been your indicator right there. And, you know, this doesn't have to do all with Dez, as Dez is coming out and saying that, you know, it was uh, those guys who wear the C is those guys that are uh, in uh, Jason Garrett's corner those are the guys who didn't really stick up for me this doesn't really have as much to do with des bryant because des bryant is still productive if you want to call you know getting 900 yards as a receiver maybe four or five touchdowns for the year productive then yeah i'll say that he's still productive in today's nfl though that's not elite wide receiver money that or at least he's not playing like an elite wide receiver But this doesn't have necessarily as much to do with Dez as it does the foundation that the Cowboys are trying to make. They're trying to turn themselves into a well-balanced offensive team. And Dez doesn't really do balance. I mean, when you consider the amount of targets that he's had and the lack of uh, efficiency in, in completing those targets... It, let's just put it like this. It's not like Dez wasn't getting chances to make plays. Granted, he did play hurt. He did play tough. But I, I don't buy this crap about him being the heart and soul of the team. I don't buy this crap about him just being this overly passionate person. Where Where's the fight going to come from if they don't have a player like Dez Bryant on their team? I'm not buying all of that. He wasn't a team leader. Team leaders don't miss out on conditioning drills. Team leaders don't um, when, uh, miss out on treatment when they have a significant injury that they're needing to work through. Team, team leaders don't go missing for three days. And then we find out later that you've been dealing with some tendonitis that hasn't been getting treated correctly. But a big part of this just has to do with the Dallas Cowboys feel confident in the, um, in the direction of the team. I don't know if this necessarily makes them better, not having Des Bryant on their team. And yes, I do understand that they're going to have to uh, pick up that production somewhere. It's not just going to come through Alan Hearns. I do believe that there's a big uh, chance that the Cowboys are going to take a wide receiver either in the first or the second round. You figure that linebacker, nose tackle, and wide receiver, those are the positions of need for the Dallas Cowboys right now. I'm hoping that they take a nose tackle and then just find themselves a wide receiver that they can groom because I'm looking at Alan Hearns, and I think that Alan Hearns, I'm not saying that he's going to put up the production that a Dez Bryant would have put up when Dez was in his prime, but Alan Hearns is a good player. Alan Hearns was a very, very good player for the uh, the Jacksonville Jaguars. He just was, I mean, Blake Bortles was your quarterback. So it's not like you were getting a whole lot of opportunities there. But hopefully, you know, this becomes more of a wide receiver by committee. Kind of like the New England Patriots like to, to work. Hopefully, they'll lean a lot less on Jason Witten also. There's a tight end that they have, Enrico Gathers. His name is not Enrico. I'm saying Rico Gathers, the um, basketball player that came out of, uh, where did he come out of? Was it um, Baylor? I think he, yeah, I think he played for Baylor basketball. But, um, yeah, Rico Gathers is another guy that they have that they're working on, trying to get him more playing time. You could possibly even see him a little bit at wide receiver. Who knows? All I know is that the Dallas Cowboys are richer for not having Dez Bryant and that nasty contract on their books anymore. And it was a sound business decision, and it was one that needed to be made, and Jerry Jones pulled the trigger, and Jerry Jones, it's his team. So um, I'm actually happy. I'm actually happy that Jerry Jones showed some, some um, level of... Restraint, he wasn't overly sentimental, he just allowed himself to make a good business decision, and that's what you needed to make with this whole entire Des Bryant situation moving forward. It's strange thinking of Jerry Jones making a sound uh, business decision, because starting Monday, we'll have 10 days before the um, NFL draft, and... I just came across a website that had a mock draft that had six quarterbacks being taken in the first round. six, six now the funny thing about it is it's like the quarterbacks that have been taken number one overall for the there's like been five out of the past 16 quarterbacks that have been taking number one overall, five of them have panned out and actually become you know, legitimate NFL talented uh quarterbacks. The rest eh bums. Last one being I believe it Cam Newton. And I'm still not necessarily sold on Cam Newton as a quarterback. At well, I shouldn't say as a quarterback I know he was an MVP of the league. I'm just not sold of him being anything more than what he is, which is roughly around 59, 60% passer rating. He's going to score you a good amount of touchdowns because of his his arm and his uh, running ability. But I don't know if he's necessarily going to be a guy that gets you to that next level. And yes, I know he did play in a Super Bowl. I know that but i don't see to see um cam newton being that guy who's going to take you to the next level and actually get you a super bowl there's there's no way that i see him winning a super bowl ever in his lifetime or at least in my lifetime which i mean who knows i could pass away you know in the middle of the night but um, yeah, there's going to be six quarterbacks that are taken in the first round, and you know what's funny is that with as many busts that have come in the NFL draft with the quarterback position, it's very funny because we are living in a time where we don't, where we have access to as much information about these quarterbacks and as much preparation as we do than we've had in the past 20 years. They've come out, and we have the draft process. We have, you know, their pro days. We have all of this information that is just at your fingertips. You would think that a team would be able to get it right. And it was an interesting um, article that was written by, I believe his name is Sam Barnwell. And he said basically... You had the NFL, which was working as a feeder system for the NFL, but th- all, that was all well and good until the, um, not the, you had the um, NCAA rather, that was wor- working as a feeder system for the NFL, which was fine until the NCAA football started to become a multi-billion dollar industry, and once you have this billion dollar industry, these Coaches are no longer concerned with preparing quarterbacks, not necessarily any other position, but particularly the quarterback position. They're not honed in or not focused on preparing these quarterbacks to be able to operate in an NFL system. That's just not the 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 um, the uh, continuity. That necessarily would exist, or that used to exist, between the NFL and college football. Now, because so many of these programs are making so much money, they're focused on wins. They're not focused on developing the talents of these quarterbacks. They're not focused on them being able to read a defense. They're not being focused on being able to um, shift um, the line at the um, or audible into different plays and, and move their offense into a better position for for scoring. Not interested in that. They're interested in but it's I mean, somebody's going to make a draft. We're not gonna know for a couple of years, but somebody's gonna take a quarterback and one of these quarterbacks is not one, several of these quarterbacks are going to be bust based off of the the data that we have that we've seen we don't know who it is going to be. We don't know if it's going to be Sam Darnold, if it's going to be Josh, um, Josh Rosen, um, Josh Allen, Baker Mayfield, Lamar Jackson. Uh, there's a kid out of uh, Oklahoma State who many think is um, possibly going to be a backup for uh, Tom Brady at some point. That's what's name Mason Rudolph. But there's going to be a bust that's being, going to be taken in the first round, and it's just going to be interesting uh, clocking a lot of these these quarterbacks and, and tracking their career over the next couple of years to see where exactly they end up being taken. But enough about football. We've talked enough about football. We need to segue into basketball because tomorrow, actually early this morning, later, later on today I should say, we're going to have the opening round of the NBA playoffs and I don't know what I'm more excited to see I know I'm definitely not excited to see the Toronto Raptors play because I mean it's tradition that they're going to blow their first game at home that's just what they do that's what they've done for the past I don't know how many years going back to 2000 2001 was it with Vince Carter man has Vince Carter been in the league that long 2001 that can't be right can't be right but just i mean that's their tradition blowing their their first game at home so i'm looking forward to that tradition not but i don't know which series i'm looking forward to the most is it the uh opening round with the Philadelphia 76ers and then playing against the Miami Heat. That's going to be interesting because Joel Embiid, you really don't know how he's going to react coming back from that facial fracture. You saw that happen with Derrick Rose, and it took him a while to get accustomed to playing with um, the, that that mask and being able, just coming b- back and working through his conditioning is going to be something that's going to be... Um, um, Noteworthy, I should say, going to be noteworthy to keep your eyes on. You have the is the opening round is going to it's going to open up with uh, San Antonio at Golden State, and part of me is just hoping that Kawhi Leonard just pulls a 180, a complete 180, and decides that he's going to play, that he's going to show up, that he's going to just come down from the rafters like Batman. And just decide that he's going to play and make this an actual competitive game. I don't see it actually happening, but a big part of me wants to see it play because LaMarcus Aldridge has been bawling out of his mind. The Pelicans and Portland. The Brow versus Damian Lillard. Does Damian Lillard have a nickname? That's interesting. Let me look that up. Does he have a nickname? Big Game Dame and Dame? That is quite lame. And I was not meaning for that to rhyme. That can't be Damian Lillard's nickname. The Brow versus Big Game Dame. That's terrible. That's awful. But that series actually might be a lot much better than what people are taking taking it for. Portland has become a bonafide defensive team. I don't really know what's gotten into them. It's funny that... People are thinking that, um, you know, well, Terry Stotts just decided that they were going to play defense. He's been preaching to this young team that they should be playing defense for years now. They've just now all of a sudden have decided that they were going to listen to him. And now we're starting to see the fruits of their labor. But what's interesting about this Portland team is that, again, yet again, they're the youngest team in the playoffs being led by... Big Game Dame, I can't believe I just said that. Yes, Big Game Dame. I guess that that's up there with the brow. I, I don't know. Who knows? How do these people get these nicknames? We need to do like like some research into who makes up these nicknames for these different players. Like CP3. Why is there the 3 there? I mean, I get it, the beard. That's fine. King James, okay. But Big Game Dame... Man, that's we we can do better than that, big game, Dame. Milwaukee playing against Boston. I'm not really looking forward to um, that series at all. Um, and that's all I can really say about that. Washington, I'm not looking forward to watching them play. I I am going to be tuning in for this Cleveland, Indiana, uh, matchup. I think that that's going to be terrific. I think that that's going to be a lot harder of, a, uh, ske- of a, um, a first round for the Cleveland Cavaliers than what people give them credit for. Or not what they give them credit for, what they give uh, the um, Indiana Pacers for. Because that team is a lot hungrier than what I think a lot of people are, are really understanding. And people are, are sleeping on the fact that as much as we love LeBron James... As much as it's hard to bet against LeBron James, they have a defense almost as worse as the Phoenix Suns. You don't believe me? Look it up. Almost as bad as the Phoenix Suns. Hard to believe, but true. Looking forward to that series. What I'm really keeping an eye on, is how OKC, what is OKC going to do in the playoffs? Are they going to be able to flip a switch? Are they going to be able to match the hype that came from them from this beginning of the year with those three stars? Well, with two and a half stars, because Melo's been on his last leg for the past two, maybe three years. And quite frankly, I think that OKC has a very favorable matchup, With Utah, I understand that Rudy Gobert is coming back. But if you take Rudy Gobert and Steven Adams, those two cancel each other out. So it really comes down to Donovan Mitchell versus Paul George and Russell Westbrook. And as much as I love um, Donovan Mitchell's game, I I honestly believe that he should be Rookie of the Year. But that's for a different story at a different time period. Um, Yeah, I got to give... OKC the nod in that one. I think that Utah is a better coached team than OKC is. But with that star power that OKC has, I see them coming out of that series in six games. Um, The thing that's going to be key to look forward to, uh, and it has absolutely nothing to do with, um, there's two two key matchups that you want to keep an eye on. That don't involve LeBron James. It's the Minnesota-Houston matchup, which I think is going to be a lot tougher than what people are going to um, are betting on, and the Miami-Philadelphia matchup. The reason being is because Philadelphia is going to be without Joel Embiid, so there goes their um, advantage that they had in the post. Because I think that Embiid is a much better player than Hassan Whiteside is. And Hassan Whiteside is a talented player. But i got to give Philadelphia the nod in in that particular category. And with the Minnesota-Houston matchup, I think that's going to be difficult for Houston in the sense of everything starts to slow down in the playoffs. And as poor Well, I shouldn't say that Minnesota is a poor defensive team. They're obviously not the, the caliber of the Tom Thibodeau Chicago Bulls teams in the past, but I think you're you're going to see them do or make um make guys like <coughs> excuse me clear my throat there make guys like PJ Tucker and Clint Capella beat you. I love the matchup with having hardened. And Jimmy Butler going at it, I, I'm, I'm going to love watching that that matchup uh, moving forward. So those are my two uh, games that I would keep an eye on as far as these NBA playoffs as potential upsets. Well, that's all I wanted to talk about um, this night for the uh, sports rotation. I want to thank you for being in the rotation with, with me. Remember, you can hit me up on my Twitter handle, at jbutler08099392. That's at Jay Butler 080-99392. Remember, you can check out my writings at Pippin Ain't Easy, Full Press Coverage, and Shy Sports Nation. That's Chicago Sports Nation. It's just spelled with a C H uh, I. But uh, thank you for being in rotation with me. I'm out. There's a door. Welcome to another edition of the Sports Rotation. As always, I'm your host, Jay Butler, and I appreciate you being in the rotation with me. This podcast is brought to you through Anchor, and you can subscribe to the show via iTunes, TuneIn Radio, Google Play Music, or Stitcher.com. You can check me out on Pippin' Ain't Easy, Full Press Coverage, and Shy Sports Nation. And you can also hit me up on my Twitter feed. It's jbutler Butler at He Said What Sports. That's J Butler at He Said W U T Sports. I just changed up my Twitter handle. I had to change it up because a lot of people weren't being able to uh, tune in or leave uh, comments on my Twitter because they said that they had a hard time finding it. A lot of stuff to get into watching this um, Houston minnesota game which is all but wrapped up with minnesota leading 118 and 102 and it feels like i'm not watching the timberwolves it feels like i'm watching and rooting for the timber bulls being a chicago sports uh, fan particularly a chicago bulls fan uh, it has been hard but somewhat gratifying to watch the timberwolves play in this playoffs this year as I'm watching Jimmy Butler and um, Taj Gibson putting up a tremendous amount of effort watching D Rose coming off the bench and balling out like only D Rose can like vintage D Rose has been a a revelation of sorts watching him come off the bench and actually provide some productive minutes off of the bench I will say that uh, first I wanna open up with talking about what went on with the Miami Heat and the Philadelphia 76ers and I gotta say that game pretty much ended up exactly the way I thought that it was going to not making any predictions or saying that my predictions came true uh, based off of something that I made uh, beforehand but as I was watching that game and I was looking at Philadelphia just turn the ball over and over and over left and right and they had close to 20 uh, turnovers before the first half. I think they turned it over, what, 10 times in the first quarter? And I kept thinking to myself, the Miami Heat are going to blow this game. They're going to blow this game, they're going to blow this series. The reason why I was thinking that is because I was looking at the Miami Heat, and they were having such a hard time scoring. It just looked like Philadelphia had like six guys out on the court with him and and that's what you have when you have a defensive anchor like a Joel Embiid who is probably if he plays more games a couple more games as defensive player of the year to me he is the defensive player of the year uh, this year but it it felt like there was the Miami Heat were playing five on six well, really, with, whenever Dwayne Wade came into the basketball game, it was like four and a half on six. Because Dwayne Wade needs to just sit his behind down and retire. I know he put up a vintage Dwayne Wade game, but it wasn't enough to pull off a win. It wasn't enough to pull off an upset. Miami Heat were not favored to win this game, and it really did show. And it was amazing because it felt like um, with. The Miami Heat, there were a couple of things that I thought that needed to happen in order for them to win. I thought that Whiteside would actually need to show up and actually put up a sweat because, God, he has not played with any type of fire, any type of resolve in this series so far, and he actually did. I thought that they would need to contain Uh, Joel Embiid, they didn't allow Joel Embiid to go off offensively the way he did in the first game but he was a monster defensively on the glass, blocking shots, just a presence at the rim just altering baskets as the Heat were trying to drive in the paint it was amazing watching them play or watching him in general and I felt like they needed to contain Dario Saric or as I like to call him, the skinny man's version of Jack Black. I mean, just look at him. Look at him. Tell me that that's not the skinny version of Jack Black. Just pull up the, pull up the picture. Pull up the picture of Jack Black. Imagine Dario Sarek with like 30 more pounds on his face. Not on his face, but it's showing in his face. And you have Jack Black. And of course, you needed to force Ben Simmons... To uh, become a jump shooter. Which the, the Miami Heat couldn't do. And speaking of Ben Simmons. Superstar. Already. Superstar. Already. I can't remember another player. Who did not have a jump shot. Who. Could. Affect the game. In so many different ways. And that not that how we judge. Players. Be, as far as. Uh superstars and stars, stars are able to get their shot off, superstars are able to get their shot off and make guys better. And when you average a triple-double, averaging more than 15 points a game, a triple-double in your first playoff series, first player to do that since Magic Johnson, yeah, that's superstar level. That's superstar level. He's almost on Rajon Rondo level, <laughs> as I like to call him. Uh, playoff Rayjean. Superstar Rayjean. But yeah, I, I thought if they were able to do those four things, contain Embiid, get Whiteside involved, uh, stop Dario from having a, a decent game, and force uh, Ben Simmons to become a jump shooter, I thought that the Miami Heat had a good chance. But when I looked at the amount of turnovers... That the Philadelphia 76ers had and the fact that the Miami Heat were not really blowing them out of the water, I said that this game is pretty much over. And basically that's what happened. Game was already in hand. Already in hand. So that game has finally gone um, come to an end. Miami not of Miami, the Timberwolves have beaten the Rockets 121 to 105 very impressive showing by the Timberwolves at home you expected them to come out you expected them to have a lot of energy you expected the crowd to be into the game and what an impressive win by them and a thoroughly unimpressive showing by the Rockets you knew that the Timberwolves were going to give it their all they could not go down 3-0 to the Rockets and expect to have any type of chance in this series But when you look at their role players, you look at a P.J. Tucker, 1 of 6, over 4 from 3-point land, Trevor Ariza, 2 of 5, Ryan Anderson actually had a decent game, was a minus 12 when he was on the court, Eric Gordon, 5 of 16, basically shooting them out of the game, not being able to make plays for others. Basically, not being able to hit those three-pointers that they live and die by. 15 of 41 from three-point range, 36% shooting. You live by the three, die by the three. And that's one of the things that's going to follow this this um, Houston Rockets team. If they're able to advance, as they advance even in this series, are they going to be able to shoot lights out from beyond the three-point range? Or are they going to... Um, pretty much uh, put up a stinker, like they did uh, today, today, tonight. I mean, you really you them to shoot. Uh, well, they shot 41 three pointers, but you expected them to shoot it at a much better clip than what they did. It is amazing to see the what what happens when you have a superstar on your team, like a Ben Simmons on your team. It's amazing to see this Timberwolves team, I keep using the word amazing, I need to come up with another adjective to describe the uh, amount of talent that we're seeing in this playoffs, the incredible talent that we're seeing in this playoffs, but you see it with the Jimmy Butler coming back from a torn meniscus, which is, I mean, it's anything short of astounding considering the fact that he was playing without, for more than a month, not playing any type of basketball, not doing any five-on-five, not going through any drills and for him to come up and put up a performance like he did in a time frame um, that he did in this particular spot was very impressive 28 points 7 rebounds 5 assists 19 as a plus minus plus of 19 my only concern is that even with them being up by 16 points they still needed 41 minutes from Jimmy Butler. That's a lot of uh, minutes that you are putting on a guy who's still making his way back from a knee injury. So we'll we'll continue watching that as this series goes along because that'll be a key uh, storyline. How will Jimmy Butler hold up with the amount of minutes that he's being forced to play? But a thoroughly unimpressive showing from the Rockets. Speaking of unimpressive. Now, this is the type of series that will get a coach fired. Portland losing to New Orleans, 123-131. Losing the series, getting swept out of the series. Not at all what any of us expected. And when we thought about this New Orleans team, when we thought about Boogie Cousins going down with that torn Achilles, we knew that the season was over. We saw the vultures circling around. We, saw, we thought that Chicago had made an, a very good trade, being able to get a first-round pick for Nikola Miritic, who was stinking it up uh, the past couple of years, so much so that in the offseason, nobody offered him a contract except for the Chicago Bulls. Everybody thought that the season was over. Alvin Gentry would be looking for another job. Anthony Davis would be making his way out of New Orleans after next year. Boogie Cousins likely wouldn't be signing a contract extension. And what do we have? We have the New Orleans Pelicans advancing to the Western Semiconference Finals. And nothing short of amazing. I'm using that adjective again. But this has as much to do with Anthony Davis balling out of his mind as it does with Rajon Rondo also joining this team. Now you certainly can't take anything away from Anthony Davis who scored 33 of his franchise playoff record 47 points in the second half. But a lot has to be said about Rajon Rondo and True Holiday particularly Rajon Rondo who had 16 assists we know that Davis contributed 11 rebounds and three blocks for New Orleans, but Rayjean Rondo is really the maestro that gets this orchestra to play. True Holiday coming in with 41, po- 41 points. I'm going to come out and say and be honest because I know that no one else is going to say this, but when True Holiday signed that big contract over the offseason, I thought that was another contract. Another overly, massively overpaid contract that NBA teams were shelling out because they were thought that they were giving away uh, free money, monopoly money. But True Holiday really did come to play. Rajon Rondo, you, you can't say enough of the defense that Rajon Rondo and True Holiday did on CJ McCullum and Damian Lillard. Big game Dame did not show up did not show up at all, did not live up to his name. I don't know what happened, but it was like they just ripped the heart out of both of those players. Neither one of them showed up. CJ McCullum showed up tonight with 38 points, but I'm talking about throughout the whole entire series. Damian Lillard, 18 points? 18 points on a, on a must-win game? Where was the fire? Where was the sense of urgency? Where was anything? Was there any, any um, offensive play from Damian Lillard throughout this whole entire series that you can recall? Was there any type of impact that he had on the game? No. And not everything can be put just on the players. Defensively, they were paltry at best. And I know that Terry Stotts is a defensive-minded head coach. I know that he preaches defense. I know that they had their defensive schemes. But um, Yusuf Nurkic was nothing. He had absolutely nothing for Anthony Davis throughout this series, and it showed. It really did show. And it was fun watching the Pelicans uh, being able to have Anthony Davis actually play at his true position of power forward and them getting a stretch big a true stretch big who could spread the floor and would uh, you know allow Anthony Davis to operate with a lot more room so that Nikhil Mirotic signing was uh, very key for the uh, New Orleans Pelicans I thought that they would have crumbled and I thought that we would have been looking at a team possibly who would have been picking in the lottery I thought as a Chicago Bulls fan that's something that I would have been looking forward to them uh, having two lottery picks, but I guess I was wrong on that end. And I'll admit it. I'll admit it. But I, like most, expected a lot more out of this Portland team. I expected this Portland team to win in five, maybe six games at most. Watching them getting swept, there's no way that they can return the same team like they had uh, this year. There's no way that they can return with the same backcourt. There's no way that they can return with the same coaching staff. Something big has to happen. Big Game Dame might be uh, getting shipped out of town at some point. I, I sense some type of blockbuster deal getting done with this Portland Trail Blazers because they can't con- continue as with the status quo. That's just my opinion. There we have it. We have fans calling it the Timber Bulls and the Bullicans for the Western Conference Finals. This is about to get so lit up in here. It's about to get so lit up. I just saw a tweet that said that firing De- um, Terry Stotts, the Portland Blazers head coach, would be a major overreaction. No, it wouldn't be. No, it wouldn't be at all. It's one thing that if you lost... Even if you lost 4-1, but to get swept, to get swept with that amount of talent... No, I don't think that that's an overreaction, especially when you have David Blatt, when you had David Damon Fisdale, Mark Jackson, when you have other coaches out there who are capable of possibly uh, getting things done. Van Gundy. That's not an vo- overreaction at all. Portland has talent on his team. There's no way that they should have gotten swept 4 uh, 0. No way that that should happen. Just caught a bunch of. Um, Tony Romo career highlights and I gotta tell you I miss Tony Romo I miss his big game his big play potential I miss the mistakes that he used to make I really do as a Dallas Cowboys fan I love Dak I I shouldn't say I love Dak I'm starting to really love Dak I loved Tony Romo though some of these highlights are just ridiculous just flat out ridiculous even from his first day of starting just flat out ridiculous how accurate of a quarterback that he was how big how much of a big time uh big game playmaker he was just watching this i mean there's there's not going to be another tony romo there's not going to be another tony romo at all and it's really a shame the way his career ended i love his second act as a broadcaster but i would give anything to have just one more year of tony romo just one more year vintage Romo possibly could have saved Dez Bryant's career because Dez is not getting a lot of love from a lot of enough teams right now which is not surprising considering his age, considering that he's lost a step considering his attitude on the field and off the field not surprising at all I just saw fans funny tweet Somebody tweeted, throwback Derrick Rose, as in vintage Derrick Rose, and a fan tweeted, yes, throwback, throw him back, because he will disappear in the next game, guaranteed. I love Twitter. I love everything surrounding Twitter. Well, it's uh, Utah and OKC who are about to start up, and I have to do some game correspondence on them. Utah is leading right now 16-10. to and I'm sure that this will be an entertaining game. I'm sure that um, Russ is really going to bring it in this game. I have a feeling that Paula George is going to go off in this game because he's been a bit of a disappointment the first two games. So we'll see what happens with that. I want to thank you for being in the rotation with me. Remember, you can hit me up at my Twitter handle, Jay Butler at He Said What Sports. That's Jay Butler at He Said W T Sports. And you can check me out on Pippin' Ain't Easy, Full Press Coverage, and Shy Sports Nation. Remember, you can subscribe to the show uh, via SoundCloud, via uh, TuneIn Radio, iTunes, Google Play Music, and Stitcher.com. I want to thank you for being in the rotation with me. I'm out. I got to tell you, this is the only thing that I've been looking forward to with this whole entire draft scenario, other than the Dallas Cowboy picks, other than looking to see if they were going to try to overreach for a wide receiver. I was looking forward to watching Bill Belichick draft another skilled player. Now, granted, you got to figure the NFL is what, 62 63% black the rest making up other nationalities, Hispanic and White. But the majority of those players are skilled position players. Bill Belichick drafts another skill position player who is not African American. Give it up from drafting Braxton Barrios from the University of Miami! I love it. I love it. I love the fact that Bill Belichick is just taking his thumb and he's Putting it up in everybody's face. Saying, hey, I can win with non-black skill position players. I love it. I love everything about it. Welcome to another edition of the Sports Rotation. As always, I'm your host, Jay Butler. I appreciate you tuning in through this particular podcast, which is brought to you by SoundCloud. Remember, you can subscribe to the show via iTunes, Google Play Music, TuneIn Radio, and Stitcher.com. Yeah, uh, wasn't... Really key, although I was looking at what was going on with the Cleveland Browns. And I got to tell you, I really like what the Cleveland Browns did. I think you needed to go out and you needed to make a splash at the quarterback position. I think you needed to draft a guy who's unafraid of the moment. Who, you know, he has his faults. All of these quarterbacks have their own faults and plenty of them. I mean, if you want to take a look at Sam Darnold, turnover machine. Josh Rosen um, has taken a couple of of um, concussions. Doesn't necessarily get along well with teammates. Lamar Jackson, electric player, but not very accurate. And Josh Allen, incredible arm strength. 56% completion percentage? Yeah. So, I mean, you think about taking Baker Mayfield, if you consider the fact that if he's three inches taller, he's the number one overall pick, hands down, yeah, I'm going to take Baker Mayfield. I'm going to take the guy who has been through the trenches, who's found a way to elevate himself, even with um, going up against incredible talent. When he, The numbers that he put up, the offensive numbers that he put up, in that Georgia game were just astounding, just astounding. When you think about the fact that he's having to go up against Chubb and and that Georgia defensive unit. Yeah. I'm impressed by Baker Mayfield. I don't care what the size is and no that's not me talking about the fact that he's um, you know a Russell Wilson clone. He he's not the athlete that Russell Wilson is. He doesn't have the hands that Russell Wilson is, does. And, I mean, Russell Wilson is a, a proven veteran player. We already know what we have in Russell Wilson. But, yeah, they needed to make a splash. They needed to make have a guy come in there and just own the moment. And that's what Baker Mayfield does for you in this particular draft. So I'm happy for the Cleveland Browns. I'm happy with the direction of that organization. I'm happy with the draft picks that the Cowboys uh, picked up. Not that I could tell you anything about them. Other than the fact that they needed a linebacker, got one. You needed to fortify your uh, offensive line. You did that by drafting the guard out of Texas. You needed a wide receiver who could fill in for the production that will be lost with Des Bryant. Although Des Bryant did not give you a whole bunch of production in the past three years, and the Dallas Cowboys did that. So as far as this draft goes, I say winner, winner, chicken dinner. Everybody go home. It's been fun, and uh, Bill Belichick, you fulfilled my dreams. Thank you very much. Wanted to get into this whole entire situation with what's going on in OKC with the Thunder going out in the first round two years in a row to a lesser, well, I shouldn't say a lesser uh, talented team. I should say a team that we underestimated. And for, by all accounts, we overestimated what the Oklahoma City Thunder team really was. Because of the names. Because of the names, the star factor involved with bringing in a Paul George, with bringing in a Carmelo Anthony. That's what we got lost with. Everybody was focused in on the names, but when you think about it, when you think about the parts that this team has, when you think about the way this team was constructed, when you think about their overall record basically being the same since last year, yeah, you could say that they underperform you could you could throw all of it on Russell Westbrook's shoulders he's you know he's a, a, a big enough of a star talent. And understands where he is in the realm of NBA players. He understands that he's going to get a lot of flack for the way this team fell apart. Don't throw this all at Russ's feet. Don't put this all on Russ's shoulders. I'm sure he'll be more than willing to take blame for it. But the blame doesn't lie with Russell Westbrook. He took a team that was less talented and won the same amount of games. And basically got them to the same exact point where they were this year. So no, I'm not going to lay that at Russell Westbrook's talent. I'm just going to say that we overestimated how good of a player that Paul George is. And we really shouldn't have been surprised by that. We really shouldn't have been. When you consider what took place in Indiana, when you consider uh, when this team, when he was in the Indiana, and it was him, Lance Stevenson, C.J. Miles, Roy Hibbert, The list goes on and on. He had Miles Turner um, for a little bit. He had talent around him, but he's never able to actually uplift the talent. And that's what superstars do. Stars can get their shot off whenever they want to. Superstars get their shot off and make others around them better. And Paul George, PG-13, whatever you want to call him, he underestimated. And... Think about really why it is that we think so highly of Paul George. Yes, I know he's an Olympian. Yes, I know he's six foot ten. He's got the, the an incredible wingspan. He can get a shot off too. He can get hot and get going. He can uh, the a potential uh, forty point scorer at any moment on the floor. And you can look at his averages and say, oh, this is a dude that averages at least twenty. 22, 23 points per game, definitely have to have him. But no, the reason why we totally overestimated the kind of player that Paul George was just had to do with who wanted him. And who wanted him? The Los Angeles Lakers. Again, we got suckered in with the name. The name, the brand of the Los Angeles Lakers is what kept us going after Paul George and saying, oh, you got to have Paul George on your team. Oh, Look at the trade that OKC made with Indiana. OKC definitely won on that trade. No. No. Victor Oladipo was able to step his game up, was able to uh, prove what kind of player everybody thought that he would be coming out of Indiana, and was paired with uh, Deminas, uh Sabonis, and that team has taken off, and they're taking not a very good Cleveland team, but a decent enough Cleveland team that can get to the finals, they're taking them seven games. Taking them seven games. So, I, we really, all of this comes down to of us just overestimating how good OKC was, how good of the names that they were getting back in that trade. So, really, the fault doesn't lie with Russell Westbrook. The fault lies with us. Because if any of us were really paying attention to what was going on in Indiana... We wouldn't have had such high hopes for Paul George in the first place. If anything, this is also a growing indictment of the kind of coach that Billy Donovan is. You know, it's funny when Melo was asked after the series had ended. He was asked um, later on, uh, later on today, he was being interviewed and asked if he would be willing to take a bench, a bench role. Uh, which they could actually use is somebody to come in off the bench and actually lead that squad and actually put up some numbers you know in typical mellow fashion we got an h no and he basically spit on the idea of him coming off of the bench what do you have with mellow going forward you have a 28 you have a guy who's going to buy into that 28 million dollar extension He's not going to give up that money, that guaranteed money. So you're going to be stuck with Mello for the next year. So that's really, that's on management, but more importantly, that's on the coach to get Mello to buy into the type of role that could actually help this team moving forward. And the type of role that I see with him moving forward and actually um, b- being able to bring in another starter, if Paul George does come back, is moving Mello to the bench. He does absolutely nothing to enhance that team, and we kept waiting, we kept waiting, and we kept waiting some more for Melo to go off in the series versus Utah. Who was he going up against? It wasn't Joe Ingles, but I mean, who was the other? Who was the other starter that Melo had to actually guard? That Melo actually had to go out and worry about being able to score against? You're telling me that Jay Crowder? Jay Crowder had the ability to just completely shut Melo down. Well, that's the thing about these playoffs. You really get a chance to see what the star players are made of. You really get a chance to see what's inside of their soul. I'm loving this situation with Utah, although I'm a little bit upset with... um, what happened with their point guard situation and Ricky Rubio going down, because I do feel that Ricky Rubio is an integral part of their offense, but geez, Donovan Mitchell. Did anybody see this coming on? Well, no, none of us can say that. When a guy's gotten picked 13th, none of us can say that we foresaw Donovan Mitchell turning into the kind of player that he actually is. But I love watching a young guy who's not afraid of the moment realize what their potential is and just blast through that realization. And that's what you saw with Donovan Mitchell. It never seemed like the moment was too big for him. Now, I know that Utah did have an amazing um uh de- does have an amazing defensive player. He have the arguably the defensive player of the year with Rudy Gobert. I know that made it hard for the uh OKC for them going to the basket, for them operating in the paint. Even Steven Adams had some trouble finishing around the rim when it came to having Rudy Gobert on the court. And you saw the impact that happened once Rudy Gobert stepped off of the court. Like, their defensive rating just went down. So you really saw that a big part of their success had to do with Gobert's ability to control the middle. And to cut off uh, those lanes with Russell Westbrook going to the basket. With uh, Paul George being able to get easy layups. With them being able to get back in transition and get some easy some easy points. But it just seemed like every single time OKC went on a run. Or every single time that you thought that OKC was going to do something to, to get within distance. Joe Ingles... Uh, would occasionally hit an open jumper. And that's another guy that doesn't need to be slept on. So Joe Ingles would go in and, and hit hit an open shot or hit a key shot. But you just have this rookie, this team being led by a rookie. When you, th- when you saw Gobert go down with that hamstring injury, everybody, everybody had to be thinking to themselves, OK, OKC okay, is so going to pull this one out. They're going to go seven games and possibly win this series. But no. Donovan Mitchell said no. He reached down into his soul and you got a chance to see exactly the kind of player that Donovan Mitchell is. Kudos for them for drafting this kid in the first place. And you know, it really does say a lot. We said that it said a lot about the kind of player that Paul George isn't. It also says a lot from this team standpoint, about the kind of ball player that Gordon Hayward is not. I mean, how many times have you actually seen a guy who is supposedly an all-star talent leave their team and their team be in a better position than they were the previous year when you were playing on that team? It's not very often that you see anything like that take place. And you're getting a chance to see it actually happen in two places. No Gordon Hayward, no Kyrie Irving. Yes, Kyrie Irving was a big part of the success of the Boston Celtics this year. But no Gordon Hayward for the entire year. And you see that this Boston Celtics team didn't miss a step. They actually got better. And, you know, I do appreciate the talent that Gordon Hayward does have but for him to leave the Utah Jazz and for them to be in the position that they're in and for the Celtics to be in the position that they're in makes me wonder how great of a player can you actually be if both of your teams that the team that you left and the team that you went to are succeeding this much in your absence really does say a lot about him as a player Speaking of seeing what's inside of somebody's soul and getting a chance to see what type of individual you're dealing with, what in the world is John Wall talking about? Did he just basically tell his front office that they could trade just about everybody on the roster except for him and Bradley Beal, that everybody else can go? That's what it sounded like when he was doing his um, post-game interview. Give a listen here.
1: far do you feel you guys are from being where you want to be as far as this team and where you want to get to? Um, I felt great. I think my play and just being there to help my teammates and these guys making the job easier for me. I think I felt fine. Um, went out there and competed, gave everything I had. I think um, we're about opportunity this summer to try to make our team better. I mean, we've been in a situation before where we fall short um, for certain situations. so I think most importantly, just start from me and Brad. We both can keep getting better and improving our game, um, improving our condition, all those type of things that we can prepare ourselves for for a long season. And then, in the day it's up to our front offices to add the pieces they think we need to make our team
0: better and more complete. So, are you less complete um, now? Because,
1: um, this is the first time you guys have gone out in the first round. How do you look back on this season, and how upsetting is it that you weren't able to go as far as you may have wanted? me is upsetting because I missed 40 some games. So for these guys to even compete the way they did, in Brad to have an MVP-type season for our team and make even more strides it was big time for us, and he held it down. All the other guys competed and made it even a fun season for us to even have the opportunity to be in the playoffs. So other than that point, it was disappointing to me to I had to miss so many games, but as these other 14 guys and my brother, they held it down and gave ourselves the opportunity to be in the playoffs and compete, and that's what we did.
0: I mean, he does go on to give a lot of credit to the guys for them being able to compete. But as far as saying that it's up to the front office to make them a more complete team, what else are they really supposed to do? I mean, you have Bradley Beal who's making the type of money that he's making. You have Bradley Beal, John Wall, and uh, Otto Porter, and Mahini are eating up all of your contract space. So what are you supposed to do besides make a trade of some sort to get those guys off the books? You can't get rid of Kelly Oubre. Kelly Oubre is one of your better, younger players. Otto Porter basically did absolutely nothing throughout this whole entire series. Martin Gortat, have you seen enough of the Polish Hammer? I don't know. But it's a good question moving forward. What does this team do as they try to get out of the lull of going out in the first round or not being able to extend themselves in um, a playoff series? What do they have to do? What what direction do they need to make or do they need to take in order to, to move this thing along? Because you have the talent. You, I mean, you're looking at probably, arguably, the second best backcourt in the whole entire NBA and you go out like you did in the first round, it's got to be upsetting. It's got to be upsetting on all fronts. Wanted to segue back into the NFL draft. There was one particular thing that I found a little bit peculiar that just made me asking myself, why do the Seattle Seahawks hate David or uh, Russell Wilson so badly? Why do they refuse to draft offensive linemen that can actually protect him? They drafted a running back who wasn't even slated to go into the first round, let alone the second round, I don't believe. but And they drafted a guy who's missing a hand. Now, granted, it's a wonderful story. It's a great story of never quitting. It's a great story of perseverance. It's a great story of uh, staying true to yourself. And with seeing this guy in the production that he was able to make while being at the University of Central Florida was just amazing. Should I say the the University of Central Florida National Champions? Because that's what they're calling themselves. So I'm wondering, should I say that even though uh, Bama uh, won the National Championship? Should I call it the University of Central Florida National Champions? I don't know. But to t- to take on a guy... With his brother playing on the team, I understand the family connection. You can call it the Legion of Griffiths. But to take on a guy who's missing an arm when you have a quarterback who runs for his life every single time that he steps on the football field on Sundays, sometimes on Thursdays, it's just amazing to me. I, I just... I can't wrap myself around it, but there, there you get it. There you go. Another, um... Year of the NFL draft, another year of us to wait a good two to three years to see if any of these draft picks really pan out. huh <sighs> glad it's over, and I want to thank you for being on the rotation with me. Uh, remember, you can hit me up on my Twitter handle at j butler uh, or j butler at he said what sports. Um, again, that's j butler at he said w u t sports.
2: And I appreciate you being in the rotation with me. I'm out.